December 19th, and this is Season 7, Episode 15 of the Four Star Spurs Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. With me this week is Joe. Hello there. Tommy. What up? And Michael. Hey there. Well, um, I have to start this uh, episode with a heavy heart and some uh, bad news. Uh, This past week, we uh, lost a pillar of the Tottenham supporters community, uh, Steve Marshall. Um, Steve Marshall, many uh, in Chicago will remember uh, Steve, especially maybe about eight years ago. He would show up at the Atlantic uh, with a busload of people from Crystal Lake to, to watch. Uh, he would actually rent a bus and they would travel in as a group uh, to support with us. Um, he was such a, a, a terrific guy. Um, he uh, later founded his own uh, official supporters group in Crystal Lake, um, so Tottenham Hotspur Crystal Lake. Um, and I know he meant a lot to both them and us. Uh, so I just wanted to have a kind of a quick conversation for those that who, of us who knew him um, about some of our favorite Steve moments. And I, I can g- give it a start. Um, so I, I met Steve with one of those bus trips. He, he showed up. He was just a great guy. He always showed up with uh, raffles for, for everybody. Uh, he would just bring items to give away that he would uh, front with his own money. Um, and... It, it was a, a real character, the way he would dress. He would give Lucas a rival for his uh, 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 everything that he would wear. Um, but I, we had, I had only met him once. Um, and um, my wife, who many of you know, uh, Shannon works at the airport. Uh, she bumped into him flying to London um, at the airport, talked to him for a while. Um, and he came ba- back for like the next match. And he had remembered that Shannon had said after only meeting him those two times that it was her birthday. And he baked a cake for, for Shannon on her birthday at the, at the Spurs match, which was pretty incredible for, uh, you know, for somebody that you met only once or twice. But that was the kind of guy that Steve was. Um, Joe? Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. He's He was a great character, Steve. Like... He was just one of those people, um, when you went into the bar or when he came in, you'd just, everyone would just, you know, kind of cheer. He was just such a charismatic character. Um, you know, he was from Liverpool, so similar to myself, a northerner supporting Spurs. So we had a good bit of, we used to talk about that, have a good bit of solidarity on on that one. And he was just such a, like you said, Anthony, just such a, he was the the life and soul of the of the occasion whenever he was at the bar um one game i remember especially we're playing aston villa in the fa cup it must have been about 2016 they were in league they were in the championship at the time and it was a really really shit game i remember everyone was like bored but steve just entertained the whole bar like at half time he did one of those crazy raffles where he was just most people didn't have a clue what was was just shouting out random stuff but he was he was like a stand-up comedian or something you know and everyone was like really loving it you know and he he was just a, a lovely bloke and when i heard the news it was such a shock um and yeah just very saddened to hear it and you know condolences to to those around him at, at this time tommy sorry uh yeah so i've known steve he was probably he's been at the bar for 
probably known him for what nine years, give or take. As Joe said, very energetic guy, charismatic, magnetic personality. Overall, very nice guy. Uh, I think my b- biggest memory, and like, <clears throat> he did a lot of things just for the fun of it. It's like, I remember one time we're playing Man U at like 6.30 in the morning. He's like, if we score, I'm jumping off the bar. And he's like, he just did it for the fun. And like, a bunch of us caught him. So that was a fun time. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I just hope that he passed away peacefully. Uh, and I feel bad for Crystal Lake because you can tell he was the hard soul. He created the whole thing. Like, even for, like, Carlin Cup Finals, I think it was in 2015, he brought, it was, like, a bus of 30 people. And, like, I never, I'm from the suburbs in Geneva, and Crystal Lake's about an hour slightly northwest from me. I never thought Crystal Lake would have a fan base like that, so I'm like, I don't know what he did, but, yeah, it's just, I mean, it sucks, but. So, Steve, uh, we miss you, and rest in peace. Uh, and I also remember uh, Joe mentioned stand-up comedian. Like uh, we actually had a holiday party one year, and 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 he, I think he was practicing to be a, uh, a stand-up comedian as a hobby, and he brought a bunch of comedians for for stand-up acts for our holiday party one year. It was it, it was a lot of fun, um, but. Um, I just want to mention to people who did know Steve, uh, the memorial services will be on Friday, December 30th at 3 p.m. Visitation is from uh, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. It will be held at Davenport uh, Family Funeral Homes and Crematory, um, which I assume is out by Crystal Lake. Um, um, Yes, for for those of you interested in uh, in in going and wishing their condolences or sending flowers or anything, uh, but uh, he will definitely be missed. Uh, And I not just by Chicago and Crystal Lake. I I think uh, you know people knew Steve all around the world too. Um, But we do have to move the conversation along, Um, and we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, We've been off for about uh, a, a month, so. Um, so we have a whole World Cup to talk about. Um, so I just kind of want to start the conversation. Uh, you know, winners, Argentina. We had the Argentina-France final. Um, uh, I think that's probably a good place to to start, and then we can kind of talk a little bit about some of the teams that we follow. Uh, how, how did you guys feel about this uh, Argentina-France final, uh, Tommy? Yeah, so, I mean, I think this is probably the final that FIFA wanted. Got Messi, who's the old guard, arguably the best player in the world, uh, plus Cristiano Ronaldo. We got the young gun coming up, which is Kylian or Kylian Mbappe. So uh, that was a good setup, and I mean, it started off. I mean, Argentina dominated what first eighty minutes, two nil, and then eightieth minute, things finally accelerated with France. Uh, I think we can all say it was probably the most exciting final we've ever experienced in our lifetimes. I think the only other one that might have rivaled it was probably maybe 2006. I could be wrong, but uh, for you guys that can see me, I, or actually the three of you can see me, I am wearing my France quarter zip. I did want France to win. France is kind of like a secondary team, but I will admit I'm not too disappointed um, that Argentina won. Uh, because I, the way I put it in terms of the finals, like, okay, Hugo's going to be a winner or 
excuse me, Christian Romero will be a winner. And I was telling Michael yesterday at the bar, Hugo, he's probably going to be gone in a year or two. Christian Romero, he's going to be, or he's what, 22, 23, 24, whatever. He, I feel as a whole, there's a lot of losers in the team. And when I say losers is they haven't really won anything. So if he can come in, bring in that winning mentality, he can say he's been there, done that. He's won the big one. So, and I think we all can agree that he's probably a mainstay in the future if he decides to stay here. So he can kind of bring that in with the winning mentality. So hopefully that will happen. And I'm kind of excited for because let's ride this momentum with him. Michael? Yeah, I was there at the bar as well. And I remember in that first half, I sat down at the table. I looked at the people around me and I said, this is going to be boring if it's going to be like this for the entire game. It would be fitting for Messi to win like this, but it was not going to be the game I wanted to watch. And then France really woke up, uh, especially, you know, if you think about Giroud and some of their other fantastic players that they took off early on. I think it was in the first half that they made some uh, changes that I think were would have been very controversial um, had it not gone the way it did. Uh, that said, it really was the finale of finales. I think it's exactly what FIFA and the World Cup wanted. Tommy, you're, you're totally right. And you're right. From a, from a Spurs perspective, you know, we win either way. But Romero, to have that experience, to come back to the squad with that experience, um, especially as a younger player who's, who we hope will have some longevity in the squad, that's a, a World Cup winning legacy that, well, that Hugo already has and that Romero can carry on. So, wow, what a final. It's everything I asked for in a final as a Spurs-supporting neutral, and uh, and more, I think. Joe? Yeah, def- definitely the best World Cup final um, there's ever been, maybe. I mean, 86 was a good game. It was a bit before my time. The first one I remember was 1990, and usually the, the occasion just gets the better of he gets better at people. It's just such a huge stage. It's the biggest stage in any sport in the world, I think, the World Cup final. And um, and I think it did for France. I mean, I know they were ill. A lot of them were unwell during the week. And maybe that was a bigger factor than people have realised. But um, obviously, they, they were not the usual selves. And if it wasn't for Mbappe, it would have just been a straightforward 2-0. I mean, Mbappe was just incredible. He just took the game by the scruff of its neck and single-handedly made it a contest, which is incredible, really. And like Mike and uh, Tommy just said then, it was basically um, the old the old guard replaced by, by the new in some respects. But I'm happy for Messi. I think he deserves to, to have won the World Cup. He's the best player we've ever seen, I think. Um, maybe Maradona at his peak was you know, on a different planet, but Messi sustained it for a longer time. Um, and I'm glad he won it. And it was a good, good, a great game. And, a, you know, I, I'm not happy the World Cup occurred in that particular place in Qatar. I don't like the way they treat people out there. And, you know, the way that this World Cup's happened is pretty corrupt, in my opinion. But the tournament, if we're just talking football, was it's pretty good, to be fair. So, yeah, good, good, good final. Yeah, no, and uh, it w- and for me, like, th- just such a great final after such a great tournament. 
like I hate to admit it yeah, because of the guitar thing, but like this this has been a very enjoyable World Cup all around. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, maybe U.S. and in England performance. I guess Tommy, you're not really a U.S. fan, but yeah, maybe. You I mean, I, jump I in. Well, I'll I su- I'll just say this. I mean, one A Sweden's USA is probably one B. I know as an American, that's like I'm whatever, but. Yeah, I mean, well, I'll, well, I'll kind of I'll start with USA and I'll go with England. Um, USA, I think the fact that they got out of their group because they didn't qualify for 2018, I'm like, I think a lot of people find that very acceptable and they're pleased with that. I, as an American United States supporter, I am. The thing is, I was very frustrated at times. Um, Greg Burhalter was making some very questionable decisions with subs and random tactics like for example the first game against wales it's like yeah we got the goal early on and then we just let off the gas and then wales gets the equalizer i'm like what are you doing and then you know reina getting small minutes like he said that he apologized because he was being childish but i think that's just a bunch of hooey in my opinion um people are saying things about managing his minutes but his dad claudio reina um if anybody remembers him uh former united states captain uh, anybody in the Premier League, he used to play for Sunderland. He used to play for Man City before they hit it really big. Um, he said, yeah, he said he was 100%. So I'm like, I don't, why, why would his dad lie about it? it makes no sense. Uh, personally, I'm not a big fan of Burhalter. So it was, for me, as an American fan, I, it was a double-edged sword. The fact that the guy of the group gave Burhalter his stay of execution and ensured that he's probably going to stay on until the 2026 World Cup one us, Canada, and Mexico host it. Um, but I want to jump in there before you talk about England a little bit, Tommy. Uh, uh, I th- what I took away from this, um, and I, I felt the same way about Burhalter and like, oh, well, now that we're out of the group, <laughs> um, now he's going to stick around for a while, which I didn't yeah. like as much. But, uh, but what I took away from this U.S. Performance in general, it, it, I feel like they're a striker away from actually putting together a pretty good World Cup. And like the four oh, years, yeah. the older, more experienced, if they find a um, a legitimate striker um, who can really do that hold up play and and other things that strikers uh, do, I, I think they could actually be a force. Um, I mean, I'm not talking like win the cup or anything like that, but I'm talking yeah. maybe they could get uh, one more round in. Uh, well, if, that, they, if they had that. Well, that's kind of the other thing. Like, I mean, Tim Ream, he's going to probably be gone because he's like 33 years old at the time or right currently. But like everything else is in place. I forget the goalkeeper's name, but he plays for those assholes uh, south of us. But that's one other story. I don't know. But like we have uh, Adams, we have McKenney, uh, I can't, uh, Dest. George, we have son Tim, Pulisic, we got Raina coming in. So if they continue the course, we're like United States is in a very good position. Um, and we'll see what happens. I, I think in terms of the talent of the squad, it's just, it's a very exciting time to be part of it right now. Michael, you had your hand up. Do you want to go in? Yeah, yeah. I was I was thinking the same thing as, as both of you in terms of, of Greg's management. But I have to say, in general, despite that, the actual quality of, of how the team played, I think, was was much better than I expected. Um, 
I I expected us to get out of the group stage. I was hoping for it at least. Uh, but the way we and the way we did it wasn't necessarily glamorous in terms of the score lines. Even in the game against the Netherlands when we lost, though, I thought that our team actually played pretty darn well in terms of the quality of play. The score line, in fact, uh, is misleading. We played better than uh, than than it looks just from the score line and. A lot of this team is a younger team. They're still developing. And with some more strategic subs, uh, some more, I don't know, uh, strategic decisions about uh, how we're going to play, I think we could continue to grow. Um, now, I wonder in the long term, how would we ever fare against an Argentina or a France or whatever? Uh, that's Those still scare me as a U.S. fan. But um, for where we're at, I think there's a lot of potential and the growth is there. And I think we played better than a lot of American fans expected. And the last thing I had to say, was thinking about is, um, you know, every time there's a World Cup in the U.S., there's more growth in interest in soccer, <clears throat> football, whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, that's also pretty exciting. I don't know about you all, but um, I had coworkers, friends, family who don't, who are Americans who, who never watch soccer and aren't interested texting me and calling me to talk about the USA at the World Cup. Um, and that's always a special experience because it's an intro to the sport for people who just wouldn't watch it normally. So that's always great. It's a highlight for me. Yeah, good, good shot there. Uh, oh, Tommy, you jump in first, then we're going to bridge us into uh, England. Yeah, sure. Um, so I want to bounce off Michael's point with like kind of the popular popularity. We kind of get a little bit of a surge after the World Cup. I think the fact that the United States is hosting the next go around and we had an insane final. I think we're going to see a little bit of an uptick. And I'm not saying we're going to get 100 percent of the newcomers coming in and they're going to stick with it. But if we can get, get more compared to 2018, 2014, etc., it'll be good. And then. I mean, I think Chicagoland, at least, we have a very diverse population. Uh, I mean, American speaking, like, America's not really big on soccer, but we got, you know, Polish, Latin America, et cetera. So I think that can bring up, bring an uptick as well, just where it kind of becomes infectious. And we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, I think the other big thing, though, is hopefully the fire can kind of increase uh, the, the quality on the field. We'll see how it goes next year. But um, I think regardless, we're in a good position because I think all the top five leagues are on TV one way or another. Uh, what League on, I think it's on BN, which is not as really available. But uh, Serie A is on Paramount. ESPN has uh, both our, what do you call it? I, sorry, I can't. Bundesliga and La Liga. So it's, if you want to seek it out, it's definitely not hard compared to years ago. Joe? Yeah, but I mean, I'll I'll complain a little bit about England in a minute, even though they were they were pretty good to be fair. But um, <laughs> I agree with what all of you said, especially what Michael was saying. Actually, I I totally agree with you. I think the US was was really good. Um, I'm obviously not a US follower really my wife is not like a lot of you know her and people listening she's not into football at all but she does get on the bandwagon when world cup comes around and because of that we were really following the us and i was really impressed um i think they need 
some of these guys to go to teams and play more. Like Pulisic, he's just been a squad player at Chelsea. I think he needs to move on um, and be the main man somewhere. And I think that would make a difference. But I, I was really impressed with the US. I think they're going in the right direction. Um, just to add to what Tommy's saying, I moved over to the US in 2014. And when I played pickup, it was... The, it wasn't as big. I've noticed the difference literally in the last eight years. I now I play a lot still, and I see a lot more participation, a lot more enthusiasm, a lot of the younger kids getting into the game. So I agree, it's going in the right direction, uh, which is great. Um, I'll talk about England, and obviously all of you uh, <laughs> feel free to jump in. I, I actually thought England were, were pretty good. Um, they had a boring, we had that boring nil-nil with the US, which you guys, you know, um, probably enjoyed a bit more than me because it was a better result for the US than it was for England. But other than that, the, I was really happy with England. I think the France game was very close. And like Michael said with the US game against Netherlands, could have could have gone either way, really. And I'm sure we'll come on to it. Unfortunately, it was a crucial moment from, from our main man, Mr. Kane, who... Uh, Sadly missed that penalty, but I, I think England played really well and I feel pretty good about the way they're going as well. Yeah, I'm not in, I am not, a, I don't like the England national team. I mean, just for a variety of reasons, it's been a long time, so why go back? But, Joe, you, I am 100% in agreement with you. I think England played well. Played well. Uh, for example, with France, I think they hung in there very well. I it is a shame that the way that they lost, uh, I I just assumed that, <clears throat> actually, I think all of us as Spurs fans, we just assumed Harry Kane would would have converted the second goal. And the fact that he mishit it and it just went way up high, I'm just like, I fell for it because, Joe, you probably know this more than I do, but my friend, when I saw her in London in May, she's a very casual Spurs fan, but she told me, she's like, yeah, everybody that's not a Spurs fan hates Harry Kane. And then I'm like, the more I thought about it, it makes sense because everybody hates Spurs because we're was like we're just kind of there at times, and when we kind of peak a little bit, we don't really do anything, and we're just such an easy target because like with the whole quote unquote Spursy stuff, whether it's a curse or just mentality or whatever, it's people just we're just we're the punching bag for a lot of supporters, like whether it be Chelsea, Arsenal, etc. And like I knew right then, even if they won, if England won, he was public enemy number one when the tournament was over because they're like, well, you could have won by four two, you still missed the penalty. Like, it's little nitpicky stuff. They they could could have had him. And but like that whole game, like I said, how it was on kind of sucked that England lost. But if they converted their chances, they would have been through. I thought they their finishing wasn't that great. But like Kyle Walker, he marked Mbappe out of that match. Like every time he was on him, there was another person close by. And like you you can say all you want about Southgate, but I he did what needed to be done and you know hats off to him. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on England? Well I um I I have to say I feel for Harry Kane. Uh first of all uh, I'm not a betting man, but if you asked me to bet on an English player to score a penalty, it would it would obviously be Harry Kane. I mean, it would it wouldn't even be a question. I I bet if they were winning odds like that, 
Um, and I cannot imagine for any player at the World Cup the pressure. Um, I, I would have wet my pants long before uh, the second penalty. Um, but to, to have that sort of pressure and for that to be the moment, I mean, wow, that's rough. And I think we know Harry Kane, and I think we know that he'll take it as I need to do better, I need to improve, I need to, I need to practice a thousand more penalties. So the next time there's a World Cup penalty that uh, keeps me and my team in the game, I'll get it. If that's the Harry Kane that I think we know, if that's actually him, then he'll be fine. Um, if that's not it and he's really heartbroken about it and who could blame him and and he must be on some level, uh, you know, I think it's going to be hard for him to get that out of his mind for a while. So we have to hope that he takes sort of the self-improvement route mentally rather than the beating himself up over what could have been. Uh, and wow, I just can't envy him in that position for a penalty like that. I probably would have missed the ball completely myself. Um, but that's why I'm a fan and not a player. So I guess that makes sense. Okay, Joe, uh, bring it home. And then we're going, we have a question to answer on the World Cup before we move on. Yeah, so, so Michael, I, Anthony can back me up here because I was, I was watching with him and a few of our other friends who were watching the game. I said he shouldn't take the second penalty. I know he's the best penalty, like you just said it as well. He's the best penalty taker. But when you're, when you, two things. One, it's against your club teammate. Larice has seen Kane. How many penalties do you think Kane's taken against Larice in training over the last 10, 12, whatever years? Like hundreds, thousands, probably thousands of penalties. Does, you know, it'd be like going up against a sibling or something. They know you, they know, they know him, knew him too well. And I think that was an extra nuance in Kane's mind that, you know, just added to the pressure that you already described. So there was that. But then it's like, well, who else is going to take it? Rashford wasn't on the field at the time. There's only like Saka. We all know he missed one and you don't want it to put him in pressure again. So I think it was, I think if someone else had been on the pitch, it was a viable option. He might not have taken it. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree with you, Michael. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll get over it. It's just one of those things. And I I, I agree with you. He's a very strong character, and I'm I'm sure he'll he'll be fine. Well, and it's a tricky bit right there because if they have someone else like the penalty, and that penalty's a miss or a block, everyone in England and the entire world will say you moron. Yeah. You should have let Harry Kane take. They would have said he bottled it. They would have yeah. said he bottled it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How could you not let Harry Kane take a penalty, you idiot? And if he does, like you said, that sort of I mean, to, to go against Hugo, who knows him so well, and having already taken one earlier, you're right. It's sort of a, a lose-lose situation just situationally, which makes it all all the muddier. Well, let's go to uh, a question that we have from Shubes. Actually, Shubes has all three questions we're going to answer today, uh, but they're all in different area topics we're going to talk about. So let's start with uh, Shubes' first question, Tommy. Okay. Uh, hey, Shubes, hopefully you're doing well. Uh his first question out of three is, what was your standout World Cup moment? I will start with mine. Um, I would have to say it was the Netherlands goal that equalized against, was it Argentina, with the free kick? Like, for me, like I'm watching it with Lucas in the living room, and I, I took a late break just so I could watch the end of the match. I see that. I was like, it was brilliantly taken. They sold it well. And... It was just unbelievable. Um, the fact that they lost and Van Hall, I, I think we could say Van Hall is probably one of the greatest, one of the best managers past 30 years or so. 
minus like Mourinho, Guardiola, etc. Um, I, I don't think he had the talent for Netherlands to go all the way, but the fact I'm like, it's a, it would have been nice, but like, uh, it, it was just so beautiful. And Joe, um, since you are a longtime soccer fan myself, you might have remembered this and. Um, I keep bringing up that I'm a Sweden fan, but it reminded me of a Sweden goal in the 1994 World Cup against, uh, it was a quarterfinal match against Romania and my favorite player ever, Tomas Brolin. He actually scored that in a similar fashion. So like when I saw it, it just, when I saw that happen, I was like, oh my God. And it just reminded me of that goal. So for anybody that is curious to know what I'm talking about, just look up Sweden, um, I don't know, free kick goal against Romania, you should be able to find it. Yeah, well, uh, I think my moment is the Richarlson goal. I mean, that was just, when it happened, I couldn't believe he did it the the way he did it. I mean, what a beautiful goal. Um, I want to see more of those from him in, in a Spurs kit, but, um, but you just got to tip your cap to him. And apparently he was practicing that shot too um, <laughs> that week. I mean, I I, I won't uh, say I it's his uh, tattoo that I uh, that I like, but the uh, but I will say that that goal was uh, amazing. Uh, Joe, what's your moment? I mean, th- there's a lot of them to go to go on, isn't there? I'm kind of spoilt for choice a little bit here. Um, I loved Japan. Japan were incredible. I mean, to beat Germany and Spain. I just thought that was incredible. And that's that's what I love seeing at the World Cup. You know, you've got these, we're, we're used to it in club football that you've got your Manchester Cities, Real Madrid's, and, uh, you know, these super clubs, and they just have all these, you know, players that cost 50, 60, 70 million pounds. But when you see in the international level, it's it's a totally different thing. It's a, it's a leveler. You can get a, a, a nation like Japan who probably don't have many household names in the team, although they've got a few good players in the Bundesliga, especially, but just the way that they played with such spirit. And I absolutely loved watching them, especially with that late um, win over Germany and then to beat Spain as well. I thought that was incredible. And uh, there were a lot of uh, other amazing stories, but that's probably the one that I enjoyed the most. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, uh, Michael? Yeah, I think I will also choose one of the underdog stories, and that's from Morocco. Uh, but the moment for me was, and I don't remember the name of the player who did this, it was a Moroccan bicycle kick blocked by Hugo Lloris in the bottom left corner. And it, I was shocked when I saw it. I don't know if any of you saw it, because it was a one specific moment. But it this bicycle kick from Morocco, which I think would have equalized, uh, yeah went right into the bottom left corner at close range with defenders all around him, really hard to see it, coming in real quick and from an angle that was unexpected. Uh, And I thought when I saw the bicycle kick, you know, flying up in the air, I thought that's in Morocco. We're still in this game. This isn't over yet. But Hugo, um, and maybe even in in, in his uh, later years, um, Sometimes his shot-stopping ability still astounds me. And the, the reaction time, the agility, the, the, the reading of a ball from this bicycle kick to me was just unbelievable. Uh, I can still picture it in my head. So that probably not a moment everyone paid attention to or saw, but 
at least for me, it was a standout and certainly uh, one that our, our Spurs fans can be proud of for a save that I didn't think was humanly possible, but Hugo proved it was. Yeah, and and you got to give props to Morocco to, uh, to make the quarter be the first African team to make the quarterfinals. Semi, semi, semi. You're right, semi. What am I saying? Cameroon made the semi far quarterfinal. Yeah, yeah, that's my my error. Yeah, um, but yeah, the the semifinal. I mean, to go that deep, um, and to have the opportunity to take out each of your um, um, your previous oppressors. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like uh, you took out two, and you uh, you you got the chance at the third. That was pretty impressive to me too, as well. Because a good shot there, Michael. Uh, well, um, I think we probably should move the conversation along. We've got a a bunch of other things to talk about today, um, and of course, coming out of the World Cup, but one of our biggest fears. And poor poor Lucas isn't feeling well today, or else he'd be here to to say I told you so. Um, but our big one of our biggest fears was injuries. Uh, coming out of this World Cup, and and we do have some significant injuries here that we're going to be struggling with, um, and on top of the injuries, we also have like players that went deep into this cup that aren't going to be ready to come back uh, um, uh, for for Boxing Day, um, so we're going to be missing a lot a lot of talent. But the the biggest one is Richarlson, which I think last I heard we're looking at um, six six weeks without Richarlson. Um, it sounds like Ramiro may have picked up a knock recently. And, and I think the other huge one is Benton with, and I believe that he's going to be out like for about four weeks. Um, these are big losses. Oh, I don't know if you mentioned Ben Davis. Oh, he's got yeah. a little bit of something as well. Yeah. I, I forgot. I even forgot about that because it's been so long since he's been in it. Um, but, um, because Wales went out so early, but, um, but yeah, the, these losses, like how, how are we going to uh, manage? Joe? Well, a lot of teams are going to have the same problem though. Um, I, I agree with what you're saying, Anthony, we've got obviously some, some important players missing, but Arsenal have just lost Jesus for three months. I mean, there's there's a lot of every team's gonna have the same situation. To be honest, um, Richarlison is unfortunate because he was very good. I thought in the World Cup, and um, you know we've. I felt so. I don't know if you guys agree, but I feel like some of our players, Romero, Richarlison, even Son, maybe they've not been. You know, like I, I feel like this World Cup's been on their mind for the early part of the season and they've been building toward it. And I'm not trying to say they've not been trying for Spurs or, you know, even if it's been 1% less though, it's, it makes a difference. And I feel like some of those guys have been, uh, you know, they've just had their eye on this tournament and really been uh, kind of building toward it. And I think now we're going to get them back more fully focused. I bet Son is a different player the second part of the season than he was the first half, especially. Um, so, yeah, the Benson Kerr one is probably out of those the biggest for us because we struggle without him. But I don't think it's going to be as long as four weeks. I, I think he'll be back in a couple of weeks from what I last thing I heard. Um, Hoybier got rested because uh, Denmark went out pretty early as well. So that's something. Um, 
and Bissouma can do a job in there for a few games if need be. So I don't feel terrible about the injury situation, to be totally honest. Okay, you, know, you made me feel a little bit better, Tommy. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Joe has some valid points. Uh, actually, Joe, quick question. I'm assuming you probably watched the most, or at least you had your ear to the ground the most in the World Cup. But like, how did Saar do for Senegal? Because I literally don't know. He was pretty good. He came on against England. He played like the whole second half. Okay, because um, I knew that. But like, because yeah. my thing is, because of these random injuries, like Ben Davis, okay, Longley, I, he's been playing, so he can kind of sub in for a little bit or take it on full time. Um, ben Cor, I've, I've said it many times uh, recently, well, relatively recently, but in the past month and a half when the Premier League was happening, he was probably our best player. So he'll be sorting this, but Basuma can do it. I think just for him, he's got to acclimate himself to the three-four-three because I think he was playing four-two-three-one when he was at Brighton. So there are some adjustments that still need to be made, and he hasn't been playing consistently. So if he can get this little run of games, let's see what he can offer. If not, I want to see Sar come in. If uh, he's been doing okay, let's see or let him play against Portsmouth uh, in the FA Cup uh, on the weekend, of, the first weekend of January. Because I, th- the biggest thing right now is a lot of these players are, or World Cup's over, so there's no reason to not put in the full effort mentally. Because I'm assuming they're before or from what August until early November mentally, there's probably some mental form of self-preservation just to get to the World Cup. Because for example, like Mane, a bunch of other players, like they missed the World Cup through just sheer unlock or being unlucky so i think that maybe we'll see more out of it regardless of circumstances uh like with charleston yeah it sucks but we do have son dayon's back harry kane uh he's coming or i mean he i don't even know i think he said he was supposed to come in come back to training tomorrow we know he's a bit of an iron man he doesn't like to sit out so um, i wouldn't be surprised or should be I would consider him a lock to start against Brentford on Boxing Day. It's just I'm but like even with the random holes, I I've said it many times this past season. I know Conte hasn't gotten the, all the players that he's wanted, but now still I would like to see him still roll the dice a little bit on some of these random players, like whether it be Sar or whomever. And let's just see what we got we got. I know we're probably gonna talk a little bit, but the other issue though is because we got to see what they have when we go for the transfer window. Because, you know, with Levy, it's like, he's probably like, why, why would we sell him? You know, it's like he hasn't played a lot or whatever. You know, there'll be random reasons. Anthony? Well, and I think that you, you made a good point there. And like so I think some of these guys that um, have actually stayed back, maybe Conte will give a little bit more of a look than he normally would to maybe like the Spences of the world. I mean, I've been hearing the talk out there that that uh, Spence has been um, buying into the system more with this uh, this time off during World Cup during training, um, and, and that perhaps Conte's a little bit happier with uh, with his game now that he's kind of picking up what the expectation is. Um, so maybe these types of guys, Sar, uh, as an example. I mean, he was in the World Cup, uh, so I, I, I don't know if he had as much time, but I, I think more likely a guy like Spence, maybe we will get to see uh, um, uh, get more of a look this uh, before 
uh, we make our purchases in the window because we certainly need to make purchases this window. And we're going to talk about that in the second half a little bit. Um, we do have a question on um, uh, injuries, uh, um, again, from Shubes. Uh, so, uh, Tommy, do you have that queued up? Sorry, I was on mute. Uh, I'm oh, we unlocking my phone again. So he said with Charles with where Charles said injured, we don't know. Hugo's state of mind post the France game. Uh, I don't actually know what he meant by that. It's kind of two things in one. Anybody get that? Understand that? Or or maybe it's just Hugo Lloris' state of mind after the World Cup game. I don't know. Um. Oh. So okay. I, I I kind of misread that. I thought it was. I thought it was about Richardson, but yeah. Yeah, well, I'm assuming. Well, it said H's state of mind post the. Uh, he means games. he means Harry Harry Kane's state of mind. Oh, good yeah. call. Yeah, so I guess it kind of ties into that then because Charleston injured like Harry's the lone guy as usual. So I mean that because that there is no true backup striker again for the time being. Michael. Well, I mean, the one I, I think you've undersold, Tommy, a Swede. How dare you? Because Kulisevsky's back. And think about what that means. I don't think, in my, personally, that Richarlison was ever really um, the to replace Kulu's position. Um, oh, I yeah. think Richarlison does a lot for the squad, but uh, his injury doesn't make us weaker necessarily right now because Kulu is back. And... Well, I, I see a lot from Richarlison now that more than I did before, really, if I'm being honest. Um, Kulu creates much more. I think we saw that right before the World Cup. We saw the way that he creates things. So Harry Kane, if he's feeling, you know, right, I've got to reprove myself and how what I am the best and I know I can be the best and I'll keep working hard. Um, to see him and Kulu and Son with sort of, well, at least for Kane and Son, liberated of the responsibility of the World Cup, which I think you were, you're all accurate in saying that there's some measure of self-preservation, which I think is unconscious. I think it's only natural. It'd be weird if they didn't think that way subconsciously. Now that they're back and Kulu is back, as you stated, Joe, we've got the, the replacements in the midfield who uh, can do the job. They can do the job. Uh, they, they might not be standout, but they might be, really, uh, and Basuma certainly able. Uh, so I think that in general, the weaknesses that we have are still very present. They have not been affected by the World Cup. Uh, and thank goodness our strengths seem, I think, to be unaffected as well. So I, and, and, and as for Hugo, I think at this point, Hugo's had so much experience. He knows when, you know, how a game goes. Sometimes he makes a save and sometimes he doesn't. He's making more mistakes now, in my view, than I've seen him make in the past. But um, I don't think at this level it's going to rattle him. Uh, I think the World Cup, he probably feels liberated too. He knows what he's got to do. Um, he's probably going to have a second to refocus. But um, and, and last thing, we've got Forrester in reserve. And... Uh, hot take, I think he's actually a pretty good keeper. He's not a replacement for Hugo, but I think um, if if something ever happened, I think we've got a good keeper in the back pocket. Joe? Yeah, I, I, I agree about Forster. He is, he is a good backup. It's not like um, in the years gone by when we have 
Vaughn or Gazaniga come in and just be like, uh, you know, Vaughn was bloody useless, wasn't he, when he came in uh, back in the day? But yeah, I, I think I think we're we're okay. Um, I think a lot of it's going to be more a mental thing than a physical thing, but I I, th- I think we're going to be fine. And you know, Conte is exactly the kind of manager who's going to be able to refocus the players. You know, he's he's ex- this is where having Conte's uh, Conte rather is a huge advantage because I just think he's going to get them straight focused. A bit like last season. You know, last season, second half of the season, we were far better, and I I'm hoping and optimistic we're going to see the same uh, this time around. Yeah, good shouts there. Um, any other thoughts on injuries before we move it along? Well, today we don't have a halftime segment, but Michael, you did have a shout out about our uh, our local supporters team. Yeah, Joe, you were talking about managers, and Conte's great, but I'm also a great manager for our Chicago Spurs <laughs> team. Self-appointed, of course, and uh, no salary, but... Um, I just want to continue to plug that we're playing right now in the indoor league at Chicago Spurs. We're continuing to get better every game. Uh, I'm not sure it's World Cup quality yet, but we are getting there. Uh, And while at this moment we have a very full roster, A, that's good news because I'm, I'm happy to say that we have so many people. So many people want to play at this point, and we've talked about the growth of Chicago Spurs and soccer and popularity in general. Um, we've seen it. Uh, Chicago Spurs, our rec team, we've got 14 people. Uh, currently, we're sitting right uh, under the halfway mark in the league table, uh, but we have the second most goals scored in the Chicago Fire Open 7v7 rec league. So, all that to say, if you want to uh, be the next Harry Kane or Hugo Lloris or Romero, because I's keeper could always use some more defenders, um, we will probably be playing an indoor season starting in February, which we'll have a roster open for it. We'll probably be playing in the spring, um, and hopefully we'll continue to be. So I will post in the Facebook group. Um, hopefully we'll be advertising it on Twitter and whatnot when our roster is going to reopen and there's an opportunity for you to get involved. And lastly, shout out to the Atlantic for sponsoring our team. They've done it for two seasons now. Uh, we wear the Atlantic logo and Chicago Spurs logo on our jerseys and um, they've been very generous to us so we always appreciate all the support from Chicago Spurs from the bar and if you want to get involved uh, you can always just find me uh, Michael anywhere at the Spurs games or ask any of us and we can get you in the right direction to play on what will be a City League Cup winner eventually uh, we're working on it. So come on, you Chicago Spurs. And uh, that's taking the place of our little halftime spiel. Well, thank you, Michael. Um, so the um, the last topic before we preview Boxing Day, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about transfer rumors. Uh, we're, we'll talk a lot a lot more in future episodes when we get um, when the window is about to open. Uh, but I think probably the big rumor that's out there now is um, uh, Pedro Para or Para or Pora, is it pronounced? Uh, uh, you know, you guys know me and my pronunciation. But um, Poro, Poro, isn't it? Yeah, yeah Poro. Okay, there we go. Um, but I know we got to see a bit of him in the Champions League uh, this year. He looked like a pretty tidy player. I think there's some concerns about his uh, ability to handle the physicality of the Premier League. 
but he seems to be the hot commodity at wing back, and which we certainly need. How do you guys feel about that? Do you think we're going to go in on him, uh, Joe? So, um, this I, I hope I'm not mixing it up. I think he started at Chelsea, though, didn't he? Was he at Chelsea and didn't didn't make the grade there? And he's gone on and he plays now in Portugal. He plays. Oh, he, 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 he only had City. Oh, oh, thank you, Man City. I knew it was someone in England. Yes, thank you, it was. It was Man City. Um, he looked pretty good against us. <laughs> I've not seen a huge amount of him. I don't watch many Sporting Lisbon games, I must be honest. But I, against us, he looked pretty good. I mean, let's be honest, lads. Anything's an upgrade on our sad friend uh, Emerson, who I don't like to kick a man when he's down, but he's not the player we need in that position. Um I don't know a massive amount about Poro. I've heard good things about him. He looked decent when we played against them. Um, I'm sure he's going to be better than Emerson. But then that logic applies to basically any right-sided fullback and also anyone who's ever kicked a football at this stage. So that, I mean, look, the, the positive thing for me is that we've identified that position as an area we need to improve. That that I, I don't care who we get, really. Well, within reason. But that's good news I think and uh, I don't mean to be unkind to Emerson but it's he's just you know he's not the player we need there Michael yeah uh yeah I, I was just gonna say you've taken all the words probably right out of my mouth verbatim I think uh I, I'm not very familiar with him but I am very familiar with Emerson Royale and I agree with you that I don't think it's sensible reasonable productive to just uh kick a man when he's down and he knows he's down and everyone else knows he's down but um, man, uh, if there's one place where I think even the casual Spurs fan is screaming, where, where's the, where's the transfer? Where's the new player? It has to be for that, that right wing back position. I, I don't know how, um, even the casual fan looks at one of the most recent games we've had and doesn't ask the question. So that's got to be the number one priority, right? Um, so I'm not familiar with the player. I agree with you that generally, really any player would be an improvement at this point. And I will say that if there's not a transfer made in that position, then then it leaves us asking a lot of questions. I mean, we have to ask what what do they see in Emerson Royale? Maybe they see something that I don't. You know, I'm an amateur. I'm not. I'm no Conte. Uh, maybe there's something there that I'm missing, and maybe some of you are missing too. But Certainly, there's questions to be asked about what's going to happen there. Uh, Tommy, you look interested. Yeah, well, I mean, because like you guys said, I feel bad for Royale. Like, I, for me, my, I don't like to beat him down either, even though he has been more or less subpar as his, for his Spurs career. It's, and I, my justification is like, I don't like to shit on him just because he's a victim of circumstance. He was signed under Nuno, meant to play four at the back, and Conte's just been, he has to make do, but my question always, if I ever had my first question for Conte right now regarding the squad is why isn't Doherty playing at least? Cause this is what he played at with Wolves. So I'm like, I know he came off an injury, but he looked good uh, before he got injured last year. And season. his crossing, his crossing, fantastic. And exactly. his long balls, fantastic. He certainly has the ability to make longer plays and he has dynamism so maybe there's fitness concerns and other issues, but I think Doherty right now uh, would, if he's in, I think he's playing better and he's making more. Yeah, I, and I think the time that he has played, he's looked at least solid. 
But, I mean, I, one would assume that Antonio Conte does have a justification and reasoning for all this. And once he break, say if I ever had the chance to ask him, he'd probably break it down. I'd probably be like, you know what? You have a point there. Touche. But well, regardless. He's been hurt a lot the last two years, and he is a, like a 30-year-old player. I think he's concerned about his uh, ability to to play game in, game out. Like uh, so. He, I mean, yeah, but I, still, Emerson is, is fit enough for the job. He's just not good enough. And yeah, I don't know. It's just the fact that Royale is just playing pretty much every game. It's like, why isn't he? Like, why aren't they? He's switching up during Champions League, or you know, League Cup. Well, yeah. if our if our choices are pick your poison, that tells you we need to transfer. Yeah, and but here's the other thing. I'm this is a very unique situation right now that the World Cup just ended at the January transfer window. And as we all know, January transfers always come in at a premium. It's gonna be amplified even more because of the World Cup. So my thing with Conte is I still find it highly debatable that he's going to stay after this season. If he stays, he's got to, he's, Daniel Levy's got to open up the checkbook and he's got to be backed. There's no way around it because if you, if you get Antonio Conte, the intent is he's there to win something right now. This isn't like Mauricio Pochettino, uh, Marmiol, et cetera, where it's like you keep them for a while, keep them as a project, maybe they win something and by the end of their t- tenure, if they win something cool, if not, whatever. So, but I mean, I'm still, I wouldn't be surprised if nobody was signed. And, but if that's the case, I'm hoping that Spence and Doherty would, would still get more of an opportunity. I mean, of course, that remains to be seen, but let's hope we get somebody in. Like, I, and I just say this, like, in terms of midfielders and attack, I think we're okay. Maybe central midfield, definitely wing backs, center backs. I think we can definitely beef up a little bit. No, I, yeah, I, I do think that you have a a, a point that may, there's a chance that we don't make a move, but I I, I don't see it. I, I do think that we absolutely have to if we want to keep Conte. Um, but my concern is that the, they might not be good enough moves. Um, like, yeah, we've been hearing names like we certainly need center back help, especially with Ramiro's uh, injury uh, history. And uh, he's he makes it so much better when he's there, but we have to plan for when he's not available as well um, and, and maybe have somebody as strong as him on the other side. So uh, so we can be either superb or at least be solid uh, um, at both positions. And the names I'm getting hearing that we're connected to are like uh, Premier League has been's like Smalling and uh, and McGuire. Um, like those rumors are out there flying and like, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. McGuire had a decent cup, but, um, I remember that was the thing. Like I saw Jamie O'Hara. It's like, I back Harry McGuire to sign for Spurs. And I'm like, I'm like, Jamie, what the fuck are you thinking here? I mean, it's just self-sabotage. I'm sorry. Christ. But I don't think those are the names that are, are going to improve us enough to, to kick us into the next year. Is my thing. I can understand why you'd want to go for an English player, but um, Joe, I think we need to just look at what we did last 
January, right? That was the be- that was a great window for us. We brought in Ben Tanker and Kulisevsky, two really good players who were at good ages, um, you know, early to mid twenties, you know, in the in the kind of prime years, who really improved not the squad but the the starting eleven, and. You know, in the past, we've kind of like scraped around, tried to find a bargain or tried to find some, you know, random transfer on the, the last minute of the day on the deadline day. That's just been a kind of a panic uh, buy. And I think we just do what we did last season. We kind of just identify the, the areas. And if it is like we've said earlier, right wing back is probably the first one that would leap to mind for me. I agree with Anthony that centre-back would probably be the second. I think we're okay in centre midfield, to be honest, and even going in attack. I'd like, I think Michael said it earlier, like Kulisevsky, when he's been out, we've really lacked uh, a playmaker. There's no one else that really does what he does. Maybe bringing in someone to rotate that position back up to Kulisevsky would be, would be good. I don't know if you can... I can't really think of a name off the top of my head who could do that, but... I think if we just identify two positions and get quality, don't try and get like five players through the door and, you know, just, just get a couple in that are, that are solid players, uh, just like we did last January. And I agree with you, Anthony. I think Conte, <laughs> he's not going to accept us not buying anyone. We're going to have to get at least one person in at the very bare minimum, I think. Yeah, I and then I think maybe like if and if they we bring the right players in, I think we could see both him and Harry Kane extend their con, contracts uh, maybe mid um, mid to late winter, like maybe February March. Um, uh, maybe we could see that if it's clear that the players that we bring in are uh, keeping us moving in the direction Conte wants. Um, I, I think that could be what it takes to to get that across the line. Yeah, the only other players that I uh, oh geez, his name escapes me now. The, the 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 player from Morocco that we've been connected to the past two seasons. That um, Amrabat. Uh, yeah, but but I don't see why we need another midfielder. Like Agreed. he's like another box to box. He's very similar to Basuma. It, it seems like uh, not the right move. Like if they were bringing in a like a truly creative uh, midfielder. Um, somebody that they could change formation with maybe and, and, and be the playmaker uh, w- when we can't use Kulishevsky, then yeah, I, I, it would make sense. But he doesn't seem to be that guy. He's just uh, an, another Basuma-type player. Um, any other rumors that you guys have heard about that you want to touch on before we move the conversation along? Yeah, well, there'll be plenty more to say, and I think uh, the rumors will get a little bit more... Um, on point and at least more um, believable when we get a little bit closer to the uh, uh, the window opening. In a, well, I guess it's only like a week and a half or so now at this point, maybe. Um, maybe a little bit more than that, closer to two weeks, but it's, it's coming up pretty fast. Um, but let's move the conversation along. Um, so we have to uh, preview our upcoming match, and I don't know about you guys, but I am extremely excited to have uh, Spurs back playing again as much fun as this world cup was like i can't wait to watch spurs again um so we uh we are the early game on boxing day uh so 6 30 here in chicago we take on brentford away um currently brentford's in 10th place they have 19 points four wins seven draws four losses um they um 
they did have uh, uh, three club friendlies that they've been uh, warming up with. I know we had a couple ourselves. Um, they um, they did uh, pr- previously beat City away two uh, one. Um, uh, their last time, uh, their, their last match before the cup break. So, uh, that, that, that's a little bit something, uh, to mention their top goal scorer right now is, uh, uh, Tony with, uh, Ivan Tony with, uh, 10, um, Matthias Jensen is uh, probably their best playmaker right now, according to assists anyway. Um, and, uh, we did draw them last time we faced them in April. Um, and we beat them our prior, uh, um, engagement before that in December, um, since they've entered the, the league. Um, how are you guys feeling on this Brentford, uh, match? Well, I think, um, there's so many dynamics of play. Uh, the first one is it's going to it's, it's setting the tone for the second half of the season in a really important way, especially after this world cup. Uh, that's one dynamic. If we win, uh, it could be a rip-roaring second half of the season. If we lose the same incons- the same uh, worries that we always have as Spurs fans will be back and we'll be, you know, uh, hedging our bets on every game. Because Brentford are good enough that we should beat them, but they are absolutely capable of embarrassing us on uh, Boxing Day, first match back after the World Cup. They're uh, they're they're a tricky team in that in that way in terms of especially because they've gotten better I think since we've last uh, played them I think I think they've gotten better. Um, there's other dynamics of play. There's the fact like we've talked about that all of our players not all many are coming back from the World Cup. I'm guessing that our team will be re-energized by this break. I think given how we were playing before this break was needed. And in fact, maybe we're even lucky that we had this break. Um, so what I'm looking for in this first half is, are we awake or are we still in bed? And have we put our kits on or are we still in pajamas? If we are asleep still, um, which we as fans might be at 6.30, but our players shouldn't be. If they play the first halves that like they have uh, in the last couple of uh, games in the Premier League where Tottenham has played like uh, they're waiting for the second half to do something, then we understand immediately that things haven't changed, that there has not been a, a change in mindset or uh, uh, in, in the way that we're approaching the game. If in this first half against Brentford, we see a really active, engaged Tottenham that's, that's, that's creating opportunities, that's pushing the ball around, um, even if we don't score necessarily or we're not winning, I will say this looks like a, this looks good. It bodes well for this the have to come so we're gonna have to see that first half we need to pay very close attention i think it's gonna say a lot about not just this game but the rest of the season tommy go ahead yeah i'll be brief with this and then i'll chime in a little bit more later but i think the fact that we have a six had a six-week break michael the first half issues i completely forgot about them which is (laughs) kind of funny yet sad uh but i'll chime in more later but like i guess my only thing is it's like every other, or I've said it many other times earlier. It's like, yeah, we have a lot of players that are a lot of first or good amount of first teamers that didn't leave. Like Longley, he's presumably going to start. Dayon, uh, Basuma will probably start, I would assume. Um, and 
maybe I would have, I think maybe Cessna would probably start as well. But I'm like, so we have a good core that stayed home, practiced at some of the tune-up matches, but I'm like, it's kind of the same thing again, which Spurs will show up. And and how I, much fatigue is there from the World Cup, too? Yeah. I, that is a factor in this game. I mean, a lot of, Not just a lot the of, injuries, fatigue I as mean, well. For example, Hoiberg, though, like, I remember seeing a list from, I think it was Alistair Golf. He was saying, like, this is the timetable when players are supposed to be reporting back to training. So, like, you know, if you got out of the groups or if you were – if you got out of the groups or not got out, but like you didn't advance. So that would mean like Hoiberg, for example, he was due back in like December 10th, for example, like Harry Kane. He's supposed to, I think I saw Harry Kane and whoever else, like they're supposed to be back like tomorrow. So it's, I mean, yeah, there might be fatigue, but I mean, one would think that Conte will keep them mentally prepped and make sure that they can, be tired uh, in the summer and be ready to go. I don't know. We'll see, I guess. I'm just if, – if they're not going to show up first half, I won't be horribly surprised, though. Joe? Well, I think we – Brentford – I just Googled it. Um, Brentford had six players go to the World Cup, and none of them really went very far. Um, there's that Mbemo, the striker, Cameroon. Uh, Damsgaard for – Denmark, a few of them. Uh, we had eight players in the knockout, so that says it all. We had more players in the last 16 than they had in the in the tournament. Um, so if you're looking at fatigue, that's obviously in their favour. Ivan Tony's had five weeks off, uh, probably got a chip on his shoulder, but he didn't get in the World Cup squad as well, which is quite probably most people would have uh, expected him to go. So not an ideal opponent, I would say. Um, you know, we just kind of went out like, so actually Michael and Tommy and I were talking earlier, Anthony, about players injured. And I could not remember for the life of me who the other player was who was injured. And I've just remembered it's Sessegnon. Sessegnon got injured. Do you remember? Again, <laughs> shock horror. Sessegnon got injured. Never, never said that before. But he he did his hamstring in the Leeds game. If oh, Was it the game before? I forget. But he, he got injured. Oh, my it, God. That does sound right. Yeah, he went so, off. So Paris, who just oh, didn't start by again. default. It was the Liver- Do you remember the Liverpool game? He, he, he got injured. Because um, it was on the sideline or the end line, I think. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So, well, Perisic just, just played <laughs> the, the whole tournament, basically, because he played in the third, fourth place, which I wasn't best pleased about. I thought they might have at least given that game off. But no, he has, to, he has to play every game. So the choices at left wing back are either an injured Sessegnon or a absolutely knackered 33-year-old Perisic, not not great. Um, I don't know. It's going to be a tough one. I would take any anything if we can get a win out of this. It'll be a bloody good result. Uh, with all these things said, you know, maybe, maybe we'll see a Doherty, a Doherty play on that side, and yeah, uh, good and shot. Spence, uh, Jed Spence on the other side. That would no. Be... Let's let's be realistic. <laughs> uh, I mean, realistically speaking, though. Actually, Doherty is a good idea because he did well there before he got injured. I didn't even think about it because I was thinking like Longley, since he's left-footed, maybe he'll play up there a little more, maybe switch to a back four due to circumstance and play a flat back four. But and then, but then if you move Longley over, then you're going to have Dyer, Romero. Maybe I don't even know if Romero's going to play. He might be still hung over. He probably I, have I, a week. He's he'll have a week-long 
We yeah, need well, we need him. I mean, this I this the the Larice. There's no excuse for not playing. I understand the World Cup final is the biggest game. I get it, honestly, I do. But this is going to be over a week after it. I mean, come on. Yeah. No, uh, I they get have it. to play. They have I to just let us down if they don't play in this game. I just suspected Romero would have a week long hangover from partying. I mean, possibly. <laughs> I, I mean, how many times are you going to win the World Cup? I'm like, this was me. I'd go on a huge binge for at least a few days. And I'm a, I'm a very cheap date, as you guys know. But say if Romero didn't play, that means Sanchez has a play. And he has been less than stellar this season. So that scares me a lot. Well Tommy, well, Tommy, you started to talk about uh, formation, and oh. that kind of leads into our final question from Shubes. So let's, yes, uh, let's tackle, tackle that before we wrap up this conver- Boxing Day conversation. Yep, Shubes' last question is, given – actually, I, this might be debatable now, but uh, his question was, given uh, Hugo and Romero aren't back until the January, how do you feel with the 3-4-1-2 or 3-5-2, something Conte has used as inter before? I think, and I'll just be very brief with this. I wouldn't well, mind. Either. Well, Tommy, just let me jump in there because I, I think they need a certain amount of time that they're allowed off before they can return. Mm. Um, and because they made the final, I think there's not enough time. So I think that's why um, I've heard uh, other people uh, talking about yeah. them not being available. Um, uh, but. Um, uh, I don't know the exact rule myself, but like I've heard other people talking as if that's why they're they're not going to be available because they made that final. That does seem plausible because, as an example, in previous World Cups with MLS, you know they run throughout the season or throughout the summer. Players uh, don't come back until like early August with the little break. But like January, for example, New Year's Day they play Aston Villa, so I mean. At least these are easier games, relatively speaking. But Shubes, to answer your question, though, I wouldn't mind if these happened because, let's be honest, uh, we got defense. There's been some holes lately. If, so if this is true, what Anthony says, that means we're probably going to have to play Dyer, Sanchez, Longley, who's probably been the mo- better out of those three. But Tengaga might have to get thrown into the mix. That's going to be ugly. If we're – and. If we're going to play with the four in the midfield, I'm like, okay, they might help shore up some things, you know. But, so, I think ultimately, though, less goals that we put in, probably the better. And then we'll see how the game develops. Then maybe go for a little more attack. And with either of those formations, that will help win the battle, whether it be on the back line or midfield. I think. I'm, I'm just an armchair quarterback, so who really knows? Anybody got any thoughts? I mean, I think we could see Conte change it up here because he has to. Yeah, it's not like, yeah, like I said before, we'll see due to circumstance. Available, but, um, but, you know, if, assuming Kane and Son will be fine, um, I, I think we're going to be relying heavily on them. I mean, uh, we don't have a Richarlison off the bench, but, um, but Kulu being back is huge for us. Um, so he's probably going to play the guys that, like, he knows can score for us. Um, um, if we don't score, though, I think um, the, the the there's there's not that firepower off the bench. I mean, it's Lucas at this point, I guess, or bust. But um, uh, maybe we could see a uh, um, uh, oh, geez, brain freeze. <laughs> um, Gill Hill. Oh, Brian Hill. Yeah. yeah. 
that maybe we could see him get some minutes uh, um, well, if we need to. Well, we're throwing red in the friendlies, like what, against Motherwell, Nice, et cetera. Like, he's looked good. So maybe it's time to roll the dice with that. I don't know. But yeah. we have Could to we have thing. we have to do think about Lucas more. Yeah, we know his limitabilities and limitations. Limitabilities, yeah, that's not a word. But um I think he's injured as well. I I'm pretty quite. sure Lucas Lucas is injured. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I, so we're probably gonna I don't know. So Hill show... Hill is a decent shout. Hill is our only backup Gil Hill. How much I say at this point, but he's our only viable like impact sub kind of back option. Okay, so I mean, unfortunately, so I mean, realistically, it's probably gonna be Son. If, well, Kane and Romero, or actually, Kane will play then. It'll be Kane, Son, or Kulishevsky. With Kulishevsky's probably gonna be out, the odd man out for that. If they're gonna play a front two. No, that, Kulu's definitely going to play. We're just going to stick to formation. Let's be honest. I I, I know that uh, I get where Shoops is coming from, but it's not it's not going to happen, is it? He doesn't change it. I wouldn't be surprised now. He's going to, and it it uh, I trust him. Like he, this is he's probably been working over the break with these a lot of these players who didn't go to the World Cup, and I think it's a big gamble to to just switch formation uh, randomly. I don't think he'll do it. Yeah, fair. I I agree. Uh, I, I think Joe. You're, not only has he – Conte's been stubborn almost to a fault about this formation. Yeah. Uh, personally, I like the formation. I know that some people do not. Um, even I think he's almost too stuck on this formation. I don't think there's any way that, he, that this is going to be changed. I don't see how we shift things around. Like you said, Tommy, we'd have to – if we had two at the front, okay, so Cooler's not going to play. Well, like we've just talked about, one of our best, you know, creative players who's making uh, making things happen, there's no way, in my view, that a Conte who's addicted to this formation will say, you know what, Kulu's back, we're not going to play him, and we're going to shift things around. I, so I, I agree with you, Joe. I think there's no way. I would be shocked, um, though, I guess to be fair, Brentford would also be shocked if Conte – switch things up it would be an interesting it would be an interesting choice for an interesting match room to do that and i frankly i'm hoping we keep our usual formation the only thing i could picture happening is maybe having like a kulu play more centrally and and drop behind the other two front three well uh, we know where he likes to that, shoot that, right that on that so much about the formation i mean but but to have him play a little bit more centrally. Yeah, there, there may be instructions that are using the same formation, but but you know modifying it, it slightly. But I think with Kulu, they they're not going to want to they're not going to want to limit his ability to shoot with that left foot. Uh, and we know he where he likes to get right on the right, basically almost parallel with the with the post. And that's where he likes to take those curling shots with his left foot. So uh, they're not going to want to limit him either. But I think you're right. There might be some modifications, but the general structure, I think, will be the same. It, I mean, say we did play behind Son and Kane, though, it would be kind of interesting because I think we all can agree his vision's great, but he does play on the right side of the field. So he only has one way to look um, in theory. So if you say we played as the de facto number 10, how will that fare? I mean... As uh, the self-proclaimed biggest fan of his, I mean, I think he can easily do it. But 
it's not been put into practice. You need him on the right, though, because he basically babysits Emerson Royale. Like, Emerson, when Kulu doesn't play, is an absolute disaster. Like, Kulu helps him out so much. And if he goes centrally, who's going to protect Emerson on that side? It kind of pull our team around a bit too much, I think. So, I don't know. Yeah, good, good point there, Joe. I think this is probably a good place to go to predictions. Um, and since you're you're talking, Joe, let's uh, let's start with you. Sure thing. Um, I'm not. I I would be delighted if we got a win from this one. I don't. I don't think we will. I think it'll be one-one. Um, I think Ivan Tony is going to be absolutely raring to go. I can see him scoring uh, Son to get an equaliser, one-one, and we'll probably be okay with that. I think. Okay, uh, t- uh, Tommy, what do you got? Yeah, so I predicted a 2-1 win. Um, I think it's probably going to be the same old shit, different day, as Michael reminded me, where probably not going to look good first half. Brentford prop may, they're probably going to look better, but they might get that goal. Second half, we just look a lot better. Um, I did say Kane will get both goals. A little bit of wishful thinking, um, just because, you know, he always drops in the midfield, and but there's a lot of injuries, so he's probably going to be lingering there a lot, I would suspect. Um, but I'd like to think he'll get the two goals just because everybody's going to be on his case. And while this won't wipe away everything, this will help heal the wounds. And the fact that if he can get these, like it is the fog match after the heartbreak, this will be very, this will be healthy for him mentally. Uh, Michael. Well, I am. I'm trying to be optimistic, Tommy, and think that we're going to play better in that first half too. But I don't know, really. I really don't know. I, I think I, I would predict Tony scores one for them, uh, and I, I think he is going to be, like you said, raring to go. Uh, but I think Son and Kulu are going to give us a two-one win. Uh, Kulu's also going to be raring to go, and I think Son. Maybe he's kind of had a slump in form, natural, not concerning, but a slump in form in this first half of the season. I think second half, he's he's looking to prove himself as well. And uh, I am worried that Kane, uh, Tommy, will step back a little bit, still do all of his usual Kane magic and setting things up, but from from, uh, farther back. So I don't see him shooting as much, though I hope I have to eat my words and he scores a hat trick. So we'll see what happens. But I'm, I'm saying 2-1, Son, Kulu, and Tony for Brentford. Okay. You know, this has been really tough for me because my mind is telling me we're going to lose this game. I just have this feeling, fatigue coming back from the World Cup, that we have um, players, key players hurt. We have uh, guys that can't play because they made the World Cup final. This just feels like something that we are going to lose but my heart is telling me no this is boxing day uh this is big Conte's may be forced into a rotated squad um give some people a chance and give some people a chance who he's had a chance to work with for the last uh month um that 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 might be an opportunity for them they're a bit better rested um and maybe we will have a, a surprisingly good performance. Um, 
but on the backs of the people that have been there. So I, I, I'm going to predict a 3-1 victory. I'm going to give a, a goal to Kulishevsky because he's been practicing with the team. He's a great player, um, and he didn't have to go to the World Cup. Sorry, Tommy. Um, I'm going to give a, a goal to Brian Hill, um, who I do think comes in at some point in this game. Um, and I do think, uh, you know, Suns had the most time of the players coming back um, to, to rest just by a little bit. I do think we can get a goal from Sun in this one. Um, so that, that's my prediction. I'm going to go with a win. I really hope my heart is right and my mind is wrong. But, but any way we look at it, it's Boxing Day, and I'm very excited for this. It's, it's always a great day out. Um, I can't wait to be back at the pub and uh, just watching with everybody. Uh, have a nice sing-song. Ha- have a good day, win or lose. Uh, it, it's certainly going to be fun. Uh, we're going to finish the day, um, not with final thoughts. We're going to finish our day with, uh, I, I'd like everybody to, um, to give me their, your favorite Boxing Day moment. That's a that's a curveball. <laughs> yeah, I can't even. Yeah, I've got one. Um, I'm pretty sure this was Boxing Day. Let me Google it. When Bale scored a hat trick at Aston Villa, was that Boxing Day? That was a that was brilliant. That's one of my favourite ever Spurs hat tricks. Google it. Gareth Bale. It must have been 2012, I think. Um, that was a really good one. Um, I'm usually a bit hungover on Boxing Day. I won't lie, so it's uh, it's it's hard to to recall any with any specific uh, accuracy. Yeah, maybe, maybe that was too much of a curveball because like that was Boxing Day. I just looked it up. Yeah, for Aston Villa <laughs> Spurs for Bale's Boxing Day hat trick. There we go. That was that was a cracking game. That one. Huzzah. I'm pretty sure we had another one at Villa where Jermaine Defoe got sent off, and um, Van der Vaart scored twice as well. That must have been a couple of years before that. Um, so, so 2010 or 11. Play, yeah, play Aston Villa on Boxing Day. That's the that's the that's the trick for us. Um, I'll pass over in case anyone else can remember. I, well, I'll <laughs> I guess I'll I don't know. Well, I'll just say it like this: I travel now for the holidays because my parents live in Houston. My sister and her family live in, outside of Raleigh, Durham area in North Carolina. So I don't unfortunately I don't make them anymore. Uh, but before I think it's just generally just. Generally speaking, and Anthony, you can definitely know, you definitely can understand this, that boxing, I think it's probably, like, in terms of going to the bar, it's always a fun experience, win, lose, draw. Um, just a lot of people there, whether it be from out of town, regulars, there's always there, have a fun time. We stay hours after the match, you know, drinking and just having fun. Um, aside from that, from I remember my senior year of college, I was working radio, and you know, this was like almost 15 years ago, but uh, I remember having to hear like a five live stream and Spurs were playing Fulham and Defoe actually scored like two goals. And I was like, just amazed, but I'm like, I couldn't watch it. So I remember that was a good memory, even though I was just like sitting in the radio station and just hearing it in between songs and talking on the air. So I would say that was probably my most favorite or distinct memory, if not the general memory of going to the barn boxing, just hanging out. That was fun. Well, and the funny thing is, I can't even tell you who was playing my favorite moment. I just remember it, it was uh, 
my first boxing day at the uh, at the bar. Um, so 2013. I, I, everybody had kind of hyped me up for it because uh, you know, I was still fairly new to the sport. I certainly didn't understand Boxing Day and what it meant to be an English supporter because I had really only been following the fire and the U.S. team at that point. Um, and I went out and just the songs that come out just for Boxing Day, um, I, I love it. I love the experience. People in their holiday ugly sweaters. Um, but I remember one, like that first one, like I, you know, I ended up probably getting there at like seven in the morning and you know staying until about 6 p.m uh, um kahal who the, the former owner of the atlantic just pouring drinks down my throat all day and and i just remember having such a great time and uh, like really realizing that um i was part of this club now like and uh, um really uh, feel, feeling welcomed by the Spurs supporters, I had already felt welcome, but um, welcomed with open arms, and like uh, it was something special, and that's why I now I always go back today. Michael, uh, did you have? Well, I don't know if I can match your warm fuzzy memory, and uh, and you've also challenged my encyclopedic knowledge of uh, Chicago's. uh, Sorry, Tottenham on Boxing Day, but so I don't know if I I can't pick a moment, Uh, but but. So I'll look forward here. Uh, not only is this, uh, you know, a big boxing day, it's also the last night of Hanukkah. So uh, this is a Christmaka-style boxing day, <laughs> in my view, for all of my uh, fellow Yids in the Yid Army. Uh, also, happy Hanukkah to you all. But so my Hanukkah wish is a win on boxing day this year for Tottenham. And it's going to be not only great to have everyone back, it's, it's weird that we've had this break. And uh, so this Boxing Day will be particularly exciting, but also because it's Hanukkah, also because we're having everyone back and it's Boxing Day, I think it's going to be, um, it's going to be quite the day. And I, I'm looking forward to uh, getting so drunk I don't remember any warm, fuzzy memories of this Boxing Day either. So I am with you on that. Oh, and uh, Michael, as a person who just watched uh, the OC relatively recently, I did enjoy your Christmas cup reference. <laughs> or I don't, I don't know if that much. was just an o- I don't know if that's an OC thing or just a a general. Term it's just a general out. Jewish thing. It happens okay. so rarely, you know, it gets its own name. But I'm I'll take any credit I can get. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Great. Well, um, I. I think this is a good place to wrap up. So uh, I'm Anthony. You can find me on Twitter at Callahan42, K-A-L-I-H-A-N-42. Tell me, where can they find you? Sorry, mute. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter as well, Lily White Coys, all one letter. Uh, Joe, where can they find you? You, you can't find me anymore because um, you might know the owner of Twitter is a complete twat, so I don't use it anymore um, in protest of his. Uh, oh, I was hoping he. I was hoping he banned uh, you. You have other that would be a badge of honor. But I'm on Facebook. Find me on Facebook, folks. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, and you probably can find Joe through uh, uh, the Chicago Spurs closed group or Four Star Spurs for sure. Yes. Please uh, do. Uh, Michael, where can they find you? Well, Twitter is a cesspool, and I fit right in. Uh, that's Michael Diodato, Michael, T-H-E-A-D-A-T-O, on Twitter, in my usual seat in the back corner of the bar. 
uh, or in the Facebook group. And uh, I'm always there. So if you're interested in more info on Chicago Spurs or just want to make fun of me, uh, open in person or on Twitter. Great. Well, that about wraps it up. So thanks to Tommy for editing today, Charlie for the music, Sam for social media, Kimberly for the logo, and The Atlantic. We'll be back there recording live soon, I'm sure. Uh, Find us uh, on our many platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Hit hit the subscribe button. Write us a review on those platforms. Um, Give us credit wherever we're due or where we're not due. Um, tell, Tell us we need to improve. Uh, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Four Star Spurs and our website at fourstarspurs.com. Come on, you Spurs.